Do you want to open it? Oh, always. Hello and welcome to Taming Your Inner Artist. I'm Sharon. My name is Agata. And we have a special guest who is, well, um, across the waves. Agata, please introduce because so, this is your guest. We have a great pleasure to have Catherine Gove Brady with us today, uh, who is in Australia, in Melbourne, if I'm not mistaken. Hello, Catherine. Hello, yeah, yeah. Hello from Melbourne. Uh, it's, a, it's got another name too. It's it's also called Nam. What? Uh, Why? Yeah, Nam is the um, First Nations name for oh, the area. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's I'm just I'm really interested in First Nations and and so let, let's just go off topic already. So it, yeah. it's is is it is it gaining some traction in terms of the way that different places are being kind of re re yeah reversed to their traditional name that's a better word yeah yeah because i mean it's quite interesting because when the kind of anglo-celtic colonists came in um they renamed everything of course yes as part of their process of kind of like i don't know exerting their will on the land right uh and now those names are coming back so when you start a radio show uh, on our national broadcasters they say, uh, we're speaking from Melbourne Nam. Oh, you know, so oh nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, I it's love becoming that. part of the way people are thinking about, um, you know, reinvigorating that knowledge and those names. Yeah. That's amazing. Different culture. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And there's a whole campaign going on in Australia at the moment called The Voice, right. where yeah. um, we're potentially recognising the First Nations people as having... Um, a kind of advisory role that's set uh, in the constitution oh, okay. um, so that they can actually have a say on matters relating to policies that affect them. Oh, fantastic. Oh really? They I was going to say, say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, what is this crazy, crazy <laughs> idea that people should have a say yeah. in where they live? Oh, that's because um, I think the thing is over here, we never have any idea about all the different things that are happening no. throughout the world we're, we're all very um oh. we're very fixed on our uh yes that's our really sad, great that's government so at the moment at yeah, the same yeah. time so yeah. I've been, I, yeah no it's still a little bit off topic but not too much because it's just um <laughs> stuff i've been researching right at the moment because i'm thinking about my relationship to land of course yeah. right and it's really complicated when you're a colonist or yeah. you yeah. know a kin with the colonists yeah. right um, so my great great grandfather was this guy called Sir Robert Hoddle, mm-hmm. and he actually laid out and designed Melbourne. On, oh, wow. on okay. Oh, we now. really have a special guest today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what's also kind of and and I'm I'm intrigued by these coincidences of words. So the device that surveyors used to use back then is called a chain. Right. Oh. So he literally chained the land. Oh, oh wow. okay. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So how's that? How's that finding some shape within your work at the moment? Is that just some initial ideas that you're you're kind of thinking about, or have you started embarking on on your relationship to the land? Yeah. Um. So, um, kind of potted version of that because this is stuff I've been kind of trying to think through over the last year or so. Yeah. Um. Um. Because, you know, it's beyond, say, the, the notion of chaining the land. It's also this idea of um, the kind of myths that come yeah. with, in a sense, kin. So, like, yeah. my kin brought these myths from Europe. Um, and 
there's a sense in which those myths have led to climate change. Okay. Yeah. So, so if I go to the land and I want to use my kin's myths to interact with the land, that's kind of problematic because yeah. that's the yeah. part of the problem mm. that we're facing at the moment. Um, you know, that Australia isn't actually England or Ireland mm. or somewhere in Europe. Yeah. Right? Um, and what I've been thinking recently uh, as a, a way through this, because it's an interesting kind of angst that um, a lot of Australians have when thinking about their relationship to land if they're not First Nations, um, is that, in fact, one of the myths that we have is that land is passive, that <laughs> no. it's there for us to accept our will or not. But actually, land has its own identity. Definitely. So, Definitely. yeah, so so this can kind of speak through, no matter what myth you try and apply to it, whether it's chaining it mm. or whether it's kind of interacting through kind of bundle the eagle, the eagle that helped make the land, the land itself is going to speak back. Mm. So, so that's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah, oh, yeah. Mm. Anyway, sorry, I took us into a kind of deep place <laughs> no, very early. I have, no, I think that's a great yeah, place yeah. To, for us to go. But before we continue, I just have to make a little disclaimer for our um, listeners. Yeah. Because I'm sitting in a very uncomfortable position right now, staring at my microphone and not being able to see Sharon, which is very, very uncomfortable because I really find it... Uh, difficult just not to have this feedback <laughs> scary i was waiting no, for it to no. say and very difficult to actually see you catherine as well so if you sometimes yeah. don't hear me very well that's me just twisting my neck really so i just wanted to say that that's it. okay are you done i am done okay catherine we we jumped yeah. in we jumped in we introduced the podcast we introduced you but but would you mind telling our listeners just a little bit about yourself? Um, whatever you you would like to present as your your potted history <laughs> of of uh, academia and research and practices research, and then we'll jump in with some questions and chat. Is that okay? Sure. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. So you know, um, I spent most of my life making my money as a filmmaker. Um, so you know. Okay, it's a being a filmmaker, so sometimes I couldn't afford cheese, but it was kind of a pretty good life, <laughs> right, on the whole. Um, but um, uh, then what happened is I realised I was getting a bit older, right, uh, and I thought there's going to come a point where I just can't lug all this equipment around, uh, and I've got to think about what will I do next, right? Um, and... Uh, so I thought, well, maybe I should do a PhD and go into academia because it seems like a kind of related field. Mm. Um, and then uh, COVID happened uh, and that kind of forced me because I had a, um, a funding to develop a TV series on um, human relationships to environments because uh, I make TV series over the years for um, our national broadcaster in Australia called ABC TV. So a bit like the BBC. Um, and um, then COVID happened and I couldn't do it. I was like, oh, and if I can't make films, I couldn't make money. So I had to find another job. So I applied for jobs in academia. Um, but, but I kind of want to step back a bit um, because the process of doing the PhD coming from years of working in the industry was kind of fascinating because, um, you know, you have this sort of set of ways of viewing the world. Um, so I, I came from nonfiction filmmaking, 
which was mainly broadcast documentaries. And mm. so there's a particular mm. kind of set of ideas and ethos and, you know, even language that you use. And then I came into academia and I was quite scared because I hadn't been inside academia since, uh, you know, my early 20s um, when I, you know, done my undergrad degree. And I thought I was going to have to box myself up, right? <laughs> Creative Catherine was going to have to go in this box so that I could just conform to this kind of academic idea of what I should be. Uh, and then it was just this wonderful thing. There's this guy, he, um, Agatha, you're having in one of your sessions, um, Craig Batty. Yes. Um, who, who was my supervisor and but also was teaching us sort of methodology at the beginning. And um, and he came in and he, he was he introduced us all to creative practice methodology. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> right? I don't actually have to put myself in a box. It's so exciting <laughs> because all of this had kind of developed since, you know, the, you know, let's go back to the 90s when I was actually at uni. Mm. So, um, yeah, so that was great um, just to, to realise that, you can be the artist and the academic, which is quite exciting. And and the way I chose Craig to be my supervisor, um, it's kind of a little lovely story too. Um, I was going around basically interviewing supervisors to see, you know, <laughs> where I would go. Yeah, I sort of I kind of worked out enough that you had to get along right with this person that it was more than they had a good name for themselves that she had to be someone you could work with. Um, and I came in and I sort of started talking about my idea and he got out a piece of paper and he drew it right. He just drew these boxes and this relationship between the boxes. And I went, yes, you're the one because <laughs> there was something about that, that kind of visualization of of the kind of tenuous ideas that I had that he could immediately go all oh, right yes and kind of in a sense visualize uh what I was thinking uh that I thought yeah absolutely this is this is the person so I, yeah I think that whole process of interviewing the um uh supervisors was key to you know starting that process right mm. um but also you know like there was one supervisor who I had later because, you know, the other thing is you get many, right, in your degree. Yes. Um, I don't know. How many do you have? I had six. Oh, wow. wow. Supervisors for PhD, two. I think so. Two. I had okay. two. Yeah. Well, I okay. actually have one and a half, really. <laughs> okay. Wow. <laughs> Which half? Well, that's true. I actually probably have five and a half. That's yeah. always the one that half really means the, the second one was just on paper, really. Oh, I was going to say, oh, so yeah. just which half? Yeah. Which half did you have? <laughs> but my first the one, and first and only half. one, was fa fantastic. So I guess I was well off yeah. and I was speaking with many people as you would normally. Yes. Oh, okay. No, I collected them. Um, so, <laughs> um, but also um, they would move. So um, my first supervisor, unfortunately, had MS. So not Craig, um, mm, another yeah, guy. Yeah. And um, so he had to leave, but he stayed on, which was really lovely, um, just out of his own time. Uh, and then Craig moved unis. Um, and so then I had to get another supervisor. Oh, uh, I see. And then another one, you know what I mean? So you always had two. Mm, um, yeah. So actually, no, maybe it's only four. I lie, it wasn't six. <laughs> um, Still more than but, me. Um, yeah, yeah. But I actually enjoyed having meetings with them all. I was yeah. like, um, yeah, like the more ideas coming in, the better. And they all had different skill sets. Yes. Yeah. 
you know, there was one who was just awesome at theory, uh, you know, another one awesome at kind of saying, Catherine, you should be more, you know, focused and stop <laughs> flitting about and, you know, yeah. the sort of different energies they had. Yeah. That's fascinating. I think you actually... Yeah. Uh, mentioned a couple of things we probably wanted to ask you about anyway, which is, first yeah. of all, I would like to start, if that's okay with you, with this move from um, industry practice to academia. And you described really nicely how Craig in, uh, introduced you to the idea of methodologies and things like that. But was it a big shift for you? Yeah, yeah. So then what happened was that Craig... Um, I th I don't even think I've been confirmed at this stage, right? So it's like in maybe the first six months of my PhD, and Craig's always like publish, publish, publish. So <laughs> he he was like, which is great. I actually enjoyed that. But um, he was like, oh, there's this conference happening. So it's like um, Almexa. It's called yes. Aspra. Yes. Uh, you should present a paper. I'm like, what? <laughs> so, so I was like a bit scared. So I asked my mate, who'd also started a PhD around the same time. I'm like, do you want to co-present something? Mm. So that it's only 10 minutes that we have to each do. So that's kind of like not too bad yeah. to come up with something to say. And then I started to think about what to say. And I'm just not an in front of camera person. I'm like, you know, I spent my whole career directing and yes. filming and cutting and, you know what I mean, like behind the camera. So the thought of standing up in front of uh, like a group of people um, who would listen to this talk, and then that would be it, right? Like, that was the chance. If you stuffed it up, then, you know, there is no more chance. That was the moment in time. And it just felt so ephemeral to me and also felt so uncontrollable, right? So as a doco maker too, there's that sense in which nothing's ephemeral, nothing's uncontrollable, you know, you mm. can cut stuff, you can, you know, it's like... <laughs> so, so I just thought... This is a really daft idea. Um, so what I did is I made filming the mm. digital paper because um, I thought, well, I'm a filmmaker. Why would I get up and rant in front of someone? Why wouldn't I actually make a film? Um, and then I could press play and I don't have to like be in the moment and stuff it up. Um, and also then it exists, right? Fantastic. As a thing. Yeah. So so that's how I kind of started becoming involved in all of these um, sort of essay films. Um, uh, they kind of sit somewhere. They're not really videographic criticism. Um, they're not pure creative practice. You know, they're sort of sitting in this sort of space somewhere between. Um, <laughs> uh, and... And then uh, I got onto Screenworks and I was like, oh, because I asked my supervisors, I was like, what's the best place to publish? They're like, this one. So I'm like, okay. So I got onto them and I'm like, do you reckon you'd be into this? And next day, yes. <laughs> so <laughs> there begins my academic career. Mm, amazing. So it was, yeah, yeah. So it was a shift of not just me adapting to it, but me also saying, nah. No, I'm not going to do the yeah. ephemeral thing. Yeah, that's I'm, I'm going to do this differently. Yeah, yeah. So bringing my kind of ways along with me as well. Yeah, mm. and and there's that space, right, in creative practice for it to allow for you to do that, to bring your existing practice along with you. Yeah, 
I think again it's wonderful for another reason for me personally because for many people who just go um, through their education and just go from uh, bachelor to master to to PhD they are used to the fact that in uh, lower levels of education you're basically being told what to do and obviously with mm. masters onwards and more um, specifically with PhD you actually have a lot of freedom you have plenty of freedom to to design and to do and decide how you, what you do and how you do it. And of course, especially if you work with creative practice and filmmaking, I, I really love that story of you just decide, oh, I'm just going to make a film instead. And you're making your rules in any way. And I guess the challenge is, and this is where support, which we talked about with Sharon last week and what you've mentioned in terms of having four or six supervisors and being able to ask them questions and uh, you know, having people with different kind of expertise is really useful because then uh, you have these ideas. You're not entirely sure if if they maybe make sense or maybe if you should do things differently. But then you're surrounded by people who uh, can support you and, and mentor you through that journey. And I think this is the beauty of being able to do uh, exercise your freedom at the same time with the safety net of, of the experts which surround you. Would you agree that that's the case? And was it the case in, in with you? Yeah, yeah. So um, they were fantastic. I, I only had one supervisor who was kind of vacant as a, you know, and, and that's not bad out of a whole team, right? Um, <laughs> so um, uh, that they definitely did and alongside that, what also happened was that um, there was a few of us going through around the same time and, and we formed a kind of mini lab in a way, right, where we would get together, uh, I don't know, maybe once a month and, and watch a film uh, and drink a bottle of wine and rave or we'd read an article, you know, and do the same and rave. So, you know, it became this really nice also space in which idea sharing happened. And that's continued, like that group of uh, other PhD graduates, like um, we co-authoring a, sorry, co-editing a book um, and um, we found our old bios, you know, the publisher has, you know, they're like, do you want to update your bio? And the bio is like, when we were babies, when we were in our PhDs, and we're all like, oh, <laughs> we are. Um, and now we're all like off doing jobs and blah, blah, blah. But it's kind of, it, it was really great, I think, doing that thing of finding like-minded people as mm. well as having that kind of team of the experts. Um, so you could kind of experience ideas together because there's something about, right, those research degrees where you really you feel like you're you know uh completely at the bottom in terms of like expertise but you're also at the forefront mm. because you're the ones kind of thinking about the newest and latest ideas so there's that interesting kind of you're both yeah i think that brings us to that you you brought up the point catherine of the the in between and that's something that Agatha's spoken quite a lot about in terms of um, being in between in terms of practice and theory and being in between in terms of interdisciplinarity. So in terms of like your in-between and what you think of the in-between, where would you situate that? What do you think about the in-between? 
Yeah, okay. So I'm trying to think because I've, I've actually been thinking about it in terms of schism at the moment with that mm -hmm. stuff relating to land and, and yeah. uh, you know, but, but in terms of actually creativity, um, I suppose I want to start from a point by saying um, that I think it's perfectly natural for us as human beings to have opposing epistemologies existing within us at once. Yeah. And that that's, what's great about creative practice is that it says that's not a problem, yeah. right? Um, and so um, it's actually quite normal. Um, so so I, I don't have a, an issue with this idea of the schisms, um, but it was like it definitely was a little bit of a fight at the beginning, you know, with me going, because people wanted to say, are you practice-led or are you, <laughs> there's all, you know, all these terms, right? And everyone wanted to pick you in a box. And I'm like, I'm both. Uh, and they're like, no, you can't be both. And then by the end of the PhD, they went, oh, yeah, you're both. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of like um, you can, in a sense, kind of break out of some of those boxes without necessarily leaving behind the idea that there is still this in-betweenness going on, right? Yeah. It's kind of like slightly schismatic um, view. But I wonder if the tension that is interesting comes from that, right? Yeah. So, so that in that space, without it being one thing or the other thing, necessarily so, um, it becomes a much more interesting and intriguing thing. Yeah, that's something that, that we've talked quite a lot about, isn't it, in terms of that idea of staying in your box, which, you know, people, people kind of try to make you do quite a lot. And they, they try and say, well, you're this, aren't you? Mm. Aren't you? Yeah, stay there. So we've talked a lot about the the in-betweenness of interdisciplinarity and the idea of like different concepts coming together now i know you work with film mainly but what do you think about what are some of the challenges of working in an interdisciplinary way do you think in terms of practices research because that's something that um has come up with some of my colleagues talking about something very different but we've been looking at how you know, some of these tensions in interdisciplinarity and some of these kind of pulls of, of looking at one thing in one way, looking at something in another because you've got someone coming in from a different area or something like that. Is this, is this something that you can kind of speak to in those kind of yeah, terms? It's interesting, isn't it? Because I don't know that I've ever seen myself as interdisciplinary. Right. Yeah. Um, sorry, I've been talking as I'm closing programs because I realised my computer was making noises. Oh. Um, we can't hear it. Fine. The, <laughs> oh, that's good. I kind of stuff all the, you know, alerts and stuff like that. Ah, no. Um, no. Yeah, life is full of alerts. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm firmly based, like you say, with non-fiction narrative, right? Yeah. Um, and so maybe, you know, I've worked in audio and I've worked in video, you know, so, but that's not really interdisciplinary, right? It's still within that same space. I think it's more for me, the ways of thinking and looking. Um, so as a practitioner, I wasn't very focused at all at understanding what I'm doing. Uh, you kind of just did it, right? Yeah. Whereas now I'm much more interested in that. I'm kind of deeply fascinated in it, to be honest. So it's almost like previously I would make things because I just had this great need to do it mm. as well as to eat. 
but now <laughs> I, I kind of I do it I make projects so that I can analyze them because if I don't make a project I've got nothing to analyze right mm-hmm. um so so yeah so I'm kind of uh, um but I don't necessarily see that as interdisciplinary um so I'm not sure I'm, I'm much good on that what was the story that the person had like Oh no, it's not sort of a massive. So I'm it's kind of by the by, but I, so I dabble in death studies, as as we okay. all do from time to time, and um, I'm editing a collection with some colleagues, and and one of the questions that we had to answer was, you know, what are the difficulties of an interdisciplinary approach to looking at in this case death, um, and the dead and the dying, and it was it was just a really interesting thing to take a step back and go. Actually, yeah, this is something that we do actually have to think quite carefully about and and, and how different people will approach this subject from their different kind of spheres of knowledge and and interest and kind of approaches. And it was just that because you were talking about your your research into the land and the ideas of our our links to the land, I was just I was thinking to um, someone I met yesterday who is interestingly also very much related to the way in which the sea in this case kind of affects us and 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 brings in this kind of idea about you know life and death and these again it's another death studies person but but that idea of kind of bringing in very much the geography of place and and the idea of our relationship to place I think for me that feels like an interdisciplinary kind of conceptualization of space and i, I was oh, just okay. i was just interested yeah. because i think now i understand well no i just think yeah. there's lots of different ways into it so i i see myself as sort of interdisciplinary but but yeah. mainly because i because of what i look at and and more how i look at it if that makes sense so yeah, i think there's yeah. there's no, a bendability to that that term um i think i'm a cuckoo bird yeah, I, I think I would just go and sit myself in those spaces and pretend, <laughs> you know what I mean, and just take. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. So, that, you know, that way, I, I think it comes from creative practice, that way where you just you sort of just steal, really, from other places. You go, oh, that's an interesting idea. Yeah. I'll use that. Yeah. And and, it, and it's like it ends up in this kind of mottled um, space. Yeah. But um, I feel like... Um, you start to work out what will kind of marry with what you're doing and what won't. And yeah. so I find that um, it's like my friends' disciplines, you know. So my friends are cultural geography and anthropology and visual sociology. My not-at-all friends are studies, <laughs> anything ending with the word studies. Oh, no, and also modern languages. For some reason, modern languages is in the friends. I have okay. no idea why. Yeah, in Europe, it seems to be something... But and and so there's the kind of sense in which oh yeah there's these approaches and I, and I've been thinking about it and I think maybe one of the things we have more in common is interest in process yeah mm-hmm. uh, and a kind of field studies approach mm. whereas studies is much more interested in in kind of unraveling the artifact uh, mm. whereas to me that's like yeah that's the last sentence of what I'm going to write it's not the beginning sentence yeah. yeah. I'd like to go back, if that's okay with you, Catherine, to to kind of talk um, to you about process and raveling the process. And I've mentioned to you before, uh, one of my favorite pieces of your work are your two video papers, the the one uh, filmmaking 
and yeah. the one uh, the other one character is interrupted because you really look at the process of what this process of filming something is and how you construct the story and we will if that's okay with you we'll probably add links to your work to our podcast notes sure. but would you yeah, like yeah. talking to talk to us a little bit about this reflective bit of your your work in, and perhaps these two pieces of work and how you constructed art and what what was your thinking behind it because i find these two yeah. pieces of work absolutely fascinating i really do yeah okay so with um characters interrupted um it's like when you're filming um stuff happens especially if you're filming on locations right and and so it kind of it always interested me because it never ends up in the cut because uh it's just not part of the story being told and and so um when i had this chance to go back and it was somewhat prompted by this just catastrophic interview with stella bruzzi the um, film theorist she was lovely but um the hotel we're in the manager just decided at a certain point um that he was going to kick us out oh. and so it was a battle of wheels right it was the manager kicking us out and me going nah not till i get my atmos <laughs> um it's like and you know uh, i might seem kind of submissive and nice but if you don't let me get my atmos <laughs> it's a whole nother story <laughs> this kind of thing went down and uh And I thought, oh yeah, this is really interesting, right? Because and it's lovely. The original audio is lovely, but um, they decided potentially it was, you know, unethical uh, to to share the original audio um, because it was this lovely exchange between me and this person, uh, as you know, playing certain roles, him playing powerful manager, me trying submissive female, and then um, <laughs> going to stubborn female. <laughs> um, so, you know. It's a, That kind of reminded me about all of these moments, in a sense, that happen. Mm. Um, and so, in a sense, that film is somewhat crafted around that bit of footage uh, from Celebrity. And it was nice too because it happened at a point where um, she was actually talking about something that was kind of relevant for the kind of filmic narrative. So I thought, oh, this is nice. This whole idea, she was talking about the kind of filmmaker becoming present. Um, and, and mostly she was talking about filmmakers who were in front of the camera. But, you know, I was kind of behind, but part of the moment yeah, yeah, in yeah. that. Uh, and then the way I cut it together also was about making my editing really present yes. so it was a lot of jump cuts you know so it was like the filmmaker is also evident there and and so uh so that piece kind of evolved out of that and i started thinking about okay well what am i doing in filmmaking because there's a whole complexity of life right and um you know people like ross gibson who's like an amazing theorist i totally recommend reading his work he uh talks about some of what we do which is about kind of interacting with the complexity uh, um, as an artwork and being able to delve into um, its kind of multifacetedness but as a filmmaker there's a sense also in which what I'm doing is I have to simplify it into a linear narrative so the world can be eminently complex but the film can't be I have to make choices about will this bit be included will I include that even that character you know so and they're often those choices are often driven by plot right yeah. so yeah. what is it that or the themes what is it you're actually exploring and I had a recent piece uh, so a documentary my most recent one it's the one I actually thought I'd go into my PhD and make which is about this woman 
in Indonesia, uh, who's Indonesian, that speaks Indonesian. So I thought, well, there's no way I'll ever sell, sell that to an Australian broadcaster. So um, I should make it as my PhD. But then I got sidetracked by all the kind of essay films. And then it turned out a broadcaster in Australia did buy it. Mm. So I was like, okay. But um, in, in that film, I had to recut it, right, for the broadcaster because I kind of created a sort of version uh, out of the kind of um, post-PhD period. But it was not at all broadcast um, version. And in the recutting, um, what they wanted, of course, was a kind of hero's narrative uh, where there's, you know, something at stake. Uh, and by the end, it's resolved. And, you know, like, so it's like yes, classic yes. theory, right? And, and so in the process of doing that, of setting that up as a narrative, and the clear narrative for that was her work. So this woman, uh, Bekti, uh, works uh, with scientists trying to help um, them engage with communities and the communities engage with scientists so that they can reduce dengue fever, yeah. right? So... There was a kind of slight progression and we kind of made a bit of it in in that storyline. But in the earlier version, there was quite a lot of her home life because I, I also found that really deeply fascinating. Um, and that was still, most of it was still in the final cut. Yeah. But what had happened was that it had changed from being kind of nodal and important in the plot to kind of charming insights mm -hmm. into Bechti's inner self, yeah. right? So it was no longer action. Mm. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting. It's like, so even, you know, stuff can be in a film and if it isn't um, about the plot, then it's not going to be a driving point of action, right? Mm. And, I, and mm. I just, I found that really fascinating because, you know, if you go into this feminist analysis, right, you know, Le Guin and people like that who are talking about different ways of telling stories that are not the hero's narrative <laughs> and how those stories can be about and then the same thing happens the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Which that home space, okay, maybe if you're not, if you're the royal family, but for most of us, the home <laughs> space is, you know, it's pretty similar to the one you left and the one you come home to, yeah. right? So, yeah, I, I kind of, I find it really deeply interesting, all of this stuff that goes on as you're constructing, because that's what we're doing, right? We're, we're constructing these narratives and, and what are we doing when we do that? And how is it kind of either working for or against dominant myths? How is it working for or against, you know, conventions in filmmaking? All of these things, yeah. yeah. It's because it's so fascinating how you talk about this. Again, I kind of want to go back to this this shift and fr from coming from the industry into academia. And if you were to put yourself in your shoes when you were starting, is there any advice you would have given you would give to yourself uh, to do things differently to 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 kind of ease in into this academic life? And I guess the reason I'm asking is because of our audiences. So as, as we discussed very briefly before we officially started recording, we obviously want to support early careers and um, people coming from the industry or perhaps not coming from the industry, but just wanting to to use creative practice, film and other media to, to, to do research. And I think you've touched upon so many points in your fascinating talk here because you talk about approaching stories in a different way. You talk about... Um, different ways of uh, analyzing things really through filmmaking. So my fear going in was, how can I stay interested in something for this length of time, right? I was like, <gasps> you know, because I, I was making a TV series in a year. So I was like, boom, boom, mm -hmm, boom, yeah. right? 
so so this idea that I'd spend three and a half years on one thing I was like mm, okay um so I was worried about that and then I also was really worried that I needed to have the theorist right so I had the <laughs> kind of concept uh, I was going to explore at that point the creating of documentary character and and then I was like oh but I don't have a theorist you know and so I thought I had to have a theorist and and that turned out just to not be true um you know you start to find them as you read right yeah. and then the there are people and, and there are people that suit different things, right? But the other things I wouldn't change. And, and one of the things I did is I took quite a bit of time over the application process. So it's probably different in different places, but what I was doing, you had to write a kind of uh, written application, which included, you know, a short essay and what you're going to do and some other information. And, and so what I did is after I did the interviews, with supervisors, and I thoroughly recommend that, right? Because I, <laughs> I kind of met Sam and went, yeah, not you. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, and I encountered a bit of sexism too, right? Yeah. Oh, why yeah. the masters? It's like, yeah, mm. I don't know if I can swear on this, but that's what I was thinking. <laughs> if you want, um, I could, we, can, we can totally do that. So, uh, so then what I did is I wrote that document over... A period of time it was like months so i put out the first version which contained all my who do you think you are i already know what i'm doing <laughs> rah, 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 stuff, right? uh, and then you know i came back to it a few weeks later and i was like yeah i don't really need to say that i'm over that kind of moment of kind of like because there's a sense in which you feel like you need to assert your identity right yeah so so and then i showed it to these people who are going to be my supervisors and they gave me feedback and so it was kind of this process that took I think it may, might have taken six months where, you know, mm. I was looking at other things at the time, but I just slowly created this opening document, right, which was to get me in. And they liked it so much by the end, it was actually um, one of their example documents for people mm. to have a look at um, for applying. Uh, and then I got to my first meeting, right, yeah. um, with my supervisor, and they said, okay, so you want to do this thing about intersubjectivity? And I'm like, nah, that was just the document <laughs> to get me in the door. <laughs> Oh, this is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, so, you know, there's a sense in which you just got to treat it like that. Like, <laughs> the thing that gets you in the door. And once you're in the door, then you can work out what you want to actually do. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. I think that's the best advice. It would have only been crowned by you going, suckers, I want to do this. <laughs> um, I think that's that genuinely it's the best advice because I think we get so caught because so we, we, we tend to um, supervise PhDs together. I'm, I'm her bridesmaid. She is the bride. Um, uh-huh. And we go through that with our, with our perspectives, don't we? It's this kind of big journey of writing this opus of why why I should be allowed through these doors of knowledge and mm. what what can I bring and that's such genuinely that's such good advice it's like yeah get in now I'm going to do this thing that's mm. just nothing to do with why so that's yeah. brilliant advice I think it comes again in, in our experience I think from um, young people fear of you know I have to design something really amazing and stick to it because someone told me it's good because it got me into this you know opportunity really and and uh, not being perhaps brave and courageous enough to be flexible and to really 
be creative and 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 do things as you want them to to you know to to happen really i think that's what it is really i don't know if that was your yeah. your case entirely yeah, but yeah because well, yeah. it's systems right and so Absolutely. you go okay this is what the system is so um you know as a filmmaker you do the same thing you kind of write something to get the funding grant and what you're actually going to make will be vaguely yeah. that yeah. but you know it will be this other thing too and the same like i didn't completely not do yeah of course the, yes Yes. I mean, I don't know. If I went back and had a look at it, I'd probably go, hmm, okay. <laughs> but um, but uh, it was kind of the document that was needed for that moment. Yeah. Uh, and I think also probably what um, people coming in don't realise is uh, how much it's expected you will change, and if you don't, it's a yeah. problem. Yeah, yes. yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. yeah, we have that conversation as well, don't we? It's, it's, yeah, we uh, do. I've got this question. It's like, yeah, great. Yeah. If that's the same thing that we end up with in three years, we're in trouble. That's a, that's a conversation we have. But I think it sounds like genuinely. So, so um, I was quite naive going into my PhD. But it sounds like you took a much more kind of thoughtful approach to getting into your PhD. And I wonder if part of that is that you were incredibly successful in your filmmaking and you'd already had this sort of this this career and you you knew where you wanted to be and you you know you had that I know I can write a a grant bid and I know that I can kind of bend the grant bid then when I'm making what I've kind of proposed and I think that's probably that idea of would you would you suggest to people that they do take a, a step away maybe from academia for a while because we here it's very kind of treadmill isn't it at, at times it's bachelor's, master's, PhD. Well, look, I don't, yeah, I don't know that I can advise one way or the other is better or worse. Yeah. Right? Um, but I think it's different. Uh, and and I'd probably, I think you were very polite. I think I'd describe my tactic to get in quite mercenary. Um, no, I think know. it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. I think it's just um, in um, film, creative practice, there just are a few people coming in at the moment who've been out in the industry right, right? Yeah. so it's kind of like in australia um there's a few of us who who've been out and doing stuff and mm. then come back in more than there is the people who've gone straight through they yeah. tend to be the studies people yeah. in australia yeah um because you know there isn't really an, an out there in the industry job for studies people yes. right yeah. so it's like yeah. that's their gig right yeah. is to stay within the academy and and i think in a sense a bit of our gig is to get out there and make stuff and whether or not you do that outside of the academy mm. or whether the academy becomes flexible enough for you to do it but i do think that there's an imperative which is different right yeah. in the industry and the academy mm. in in the industry it's a lot harder to get a grant it's a lot harder to get commissioned right yeah um and and so there's a kind of uh a different I think relationship to the filmmaking as yeah. a result. Mm. So you know, like I said, I had to make films that made me money, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So it meant I made broadcast documentaries. Yeah. Now I don't have to make films that make me money. So I'm making wildly experimental films, <laughs> right? So you know, there is that kind of. It's not better or worse, but it's different, yeah. uh, and it's quite different. And I think to say it isn't uh, is to gloss over. Um, that experience and also there's just um, there's a whole insecurity yeah. about being in the industry right mm. um, and and you have different sense of in the industry 
um, time management is so important, yes. right? Because time yes. is your money. Mm. But mm. also you only work with people who are really good at their job. Yeah. So there yeah. are no assholes. There are no narcissists yeah. because they don't get another gig. Yes, right? of course. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, they still are, but like you just don't work with them. Yeah. So, but the point is then there's an ex expectation. You come back into academia uh, and and there isn't really that same everybody is super awesome at their job and wanting to make this project come to fruition. It's a whole lot of people with different levels of skills and abilities who are wanting to make their own shit come into yeah. fruition. Right? <laughs> so it's kind of quite a different kind of, it's not that cohesive space. Yeah. We're all bringing this project into space. Yeah. Um, so so it's kind of this different vibes yeah. in terms mm -hmm. of these spaces. And I think it's interesting to experience mm. the different vibes, mm. right? But I don't think it's necessarily the only way to become an interesting filmmaker, right? Yeah, yeah. no, of course. It's just, it's yeah. really, yeah. I, I just feel like that really yeah. gave you the foundation to mm. kind of, you know, I, I don't know that I'd have been as as brave as you well I, I know I wouldn't have been to to go to a conference I didn't do any conferences um but to also go do you know what yeah that's what you want me to do Pfft, not going to do that yeah. I'm going to do something that's completely different and works for me and I I don't know that I'd have had the chutzpah to to do that even so I just feel like it's that being being out in industry that's given you that yeah, possibly. I can, I can do my own that thing. thing. It's like, oh, that's what you have to do, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh. Also, I think when someone passes you an opportunity, right? Yeah. Uh, and to actually say no for no good reason, it's like, oh, why would you do that, right? Mm, true. Uh, if it's only your own fear, that's yeah. not a good reason. Yeah, there has to be another reason. Yeah. Mm. No, absolutely fascinating. I think it was uh, just really, really uh, wonderful to hear you talk about all of this. And I think we, we've learned a lot. Uh, I'm sure it's not only our listeners, but we have, I certainly have learned a lot uh, from this. And it, it's really, uh, it's really lovely to hear some kind of very uh, practical advices from your side. And I think if I was to summarize what you, you know, this fascinating stories you, you had for us today, I would say just be brave, really do things you believe in and uh, don't take no, uh, if, don't accept no if you feel like you should say yes. And uh, I think that that was absolutely Wonderful. I am aware, Catherine, that you just came back straight from work and you didn't have your dinner. So that's one <laughs> trying to slowly wrap it up for you. But I think it was just absolutely wonderful to have you here with us today. And uh, hopefully we'll have more chances to, to go back to this conversation at some point. I don't know if you have any final questions, Sharon. No, I just, I, I, well, I'll just ask the one because Agatha's decided to sum up what we've talked about today. But I'm going to ask you, what is what is your your sort of one summation, your 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 best advice for somebody who's going to go? Do you know what I'm going to give practice as research a go? Um, you shouldn't be looking for the answers. Um, what you're actually looking for is the questions. <laughs> I'm making yes things with my wrist because this is what Agatha says every single flipping week. Wonderful. That is just Absolutely the best amazing. advice. Yeah. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us. Thank <laughs> you for, for for moving time and space with us to make this happen. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah. And we hope it's it's been okay. 
lovely. Thank you. Yeah, it was wonderful start of the day for us. So so thank you so much. Have a wonderful evening, and of course we'll keep in touch, and we uh, will post uh, the links to your work in our podcast. So thank you so very much. Have a wonderful evening, and take yeah. care. Lovely to meet bye. you virtually. Bye. 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 <laughs> oh, that was amazing. So hopefully, hopefully. Uh, Catherine manages to leave the Teams chat. I've just abandoned her in you there. Just, you have just abandoned her. I did. I just abandoned her. Yeah. Well, I figure she's a, a lady of knowledge and skill and she will find her way out of the virtual prison that Teams can sometimes be. She definitely is. And I think what we've achieved today with this podcast is we you, we managed to get some kind of really honest advice and can, viewpoints. Can I just say, I've never met Catherine before. You've met virtually met Catherine before my god what an inspiring woman yeah she's a hero absolutely I I didn't want to gush while we were speaking because I felt I shouldn't really but Catherine you're amazing and we think oh my gosh you're amazing (laughs) yes no Catherine is absolutely amazing we should probably also plug a couple of other links to uh, my conversations with Catherine. So there's an article Catherine wrote uh, for a special issue on practice-based research I edited last year. And there's a seminar series with Catherine as well. So we'll make sure we include all of this. But yes, wonderful, wonderful talk today. Yeah, I was going to say, we'll we'll whack all of that in the notes. So please, like, when we whack stuff in the notes, do visit it because we've popped it there for a a reason, haven't we? Like, you know, and I'm going to go off and read the article as well because ge- genuinely that was so inspiring really and so was. interesting so uh, now I've gushed and Agatha's listened to that sounds disgusting but <laughs> I don't care now I've gushed and Agatha has listened to me gush um <laughs> this is so, sounds so wrong yeah but that's you know that's how we end our podcast <laughs> It's still very early in the morning here. I I have to say it's still before nine. Um, Oh dear. I just wanted to say it's also very nice for us to start our international part of the podcast this way. So we are going to continue this. Now now Catherine has sort of been our little kind of guinea pig test run because we really really wanted to speak to her so we maybe jumped into the whole you know transmitting across the waves thing a bit quickly um but we're gonna have some really brilliant guests actually from across the across the oceans and seas um zane Forsh is going to be joining us in in a few weeks time and your your contributor to the latest of your research series will be joining us as well oh yeah covers yes Oh my! The faces that Agatha was making at me then, like I had gone crazy. No, it's it's. I still didn't have enough coffee. She I hasn't didn't. had. She's only had half a flask of coffee, and she is not <laughs> feeling it I'm today. So what we're going to do is we're going to wrap this up. But I just, I, I'm just going to thank Catherine again for being such a generous guest. Um, and it's goodbye from me, and goodbye for from you and goodbye from me yay Yay. bye have a good day